Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. Well, it is May Day, the 1st of May, 2017, as I record this, and every year on this day, my mind, my thoughts turn to reading. The reason is that even though May 1st is not technically the beginning of summer, it's sort of the emotional beginning of summer for me. I know summer doesn't technically begin until June 21st with the summer equinox, but the fact is that this is really the emotional beginning of summer. Most schools are letting out colleges and universities. And, you know, it's May Day and you turn your thoughts to uh, the spring and all of that. And all of that turns my thoughts to reading. I love summers. I love the sports and the outdoor life and the travel and all the stuff that summer means. But uh, surveys show that most of us read more during the summer months, say May through August, than we do the rest of the year because we're so busy. You know, we laze around during the summer and we travel and we have more unclaimed hours. And so I want to talk to you about reading for just a little bit. You know, I, I would serve all of you best, all of those of you who listen to my podcast, I serve you best by urging you to have a rich reading life. Not only do I think this is just a part of a, of, a, of a life worth living. I also know that most of you are leaders and you know my, my principle, my absolute, uh, I'm committed to it completely, read to lead. We have to read in order to lead. So the summer months are a great time to talk about this. And we all know why we read at the most basic level. We read for information. We read for entertainment. We read for distraction. Uh, we read maybe to acquire skills and, you know, uh, best practices that we need for what we do in life. But but I want to suggest that in this modern world, there are some other reasons for reading that are perhaps as vital, if not more vital than the ones I've just mentioned. Uh, one of them is that I believe that a, a life of reading, uh, a meaningful reading life, is an antidote to the pace at which we live. We all know that we live in a manic world. We live at a manic pace. We have our devices barking at us all the time. We have people who want things. And of course, that's part of a normal life. But we also have information that that seeks us out. You know, it used to be I would pick up the newspaper to read about the Washington Redskins or the Tennessee Titans. Now I've got their information and their alerts beeping at me all day long. Um, it's my fault. I have those settings set. But the point is that, you know, I probably get 150 news alerts every day. That didn't happen 20 years ago. It didn't happen throughout most of history. So we're living at a manic pace. We have information systems systems that demand our attention. Um, our, our devices are claiming us constantly. We, we, we live at a bit more manic pace. And, and, and I believe that finding time to read is an antidote to this. If you spend, I tell, I tell the leaders that I advise and, and consult with, if you just can find an hour a day to read, it will quiet your soul. It will cause you to um, push back against uh, the buzzing and, and claims on your life of, of our modern living. And it will make you an exceptional human being, not just by the content, but by the fact that you're taking time to reflect and to ponder and to gain perspective. So if you're finding yourself troubled by the pace at which you are living, and if a lot of that are all the claims that are made upon your attention, but not just from your electronic devices, which are more blessings than curses, um, but just the pace that you're living, 
A meaningful reading life is an important part of that. Number two, something that's often not discussed is that you really can't read meaningfully if your soul is in torment. Perhaps you've been through difficult times in your life. Perhaps someone you love died or perhaps you uh, you know, were insulted at some time or went through a troubling time economically or what have you uh, relationally with people meaningful in your life. The fact is you probably couldn't read meaningfully during that time. I find in my life that uh, the, my reading life is a bit of a barometer for the state of my soul. If I find I can't read, if I'm reading the same sentence six or seven times in a row, if I'm unable to focus, it means there's something wrong. And if there's something wrong when it comes to my reading life, then that thing is also wrong when it comes to my marriage, when it comes to my children, when it comes to my friendships, when it comes to my writing, when it comes to uh, how I impact others. And so the reading life is important, and this is rarely ever mentioned, because it's a barometer on the state of your soul, on your ability to concentrate, on, on how placid the waters of your soul are. And I think this is vitally important. Um, when when it comes to this is my third point when it comes to reading one of the most one of the greatest benefits of reading is the way it fuels imagination you know whether we're talking about the imagination necessary to lead well the imagination necessary to create well the imagination necessary to live just an interesting inquisitive life reading fuels all of that do you know that the personal computer uh, the laptop, let's call it, was first described and conceived of in science fiction literature. Do you know that space travel was first conceived of in science scientific uh, literature? Do you know that um, I'm, I'm recording this on an iPhone? Uh, that kind of technology was first conceived of and described and, uh, and sort of proposed uh, in, in fiction. Uh, many of the things that we uh, have today were first anticipated in creative, imaginative, uh, often science fiction literature. But it's not just science fiction and it's not just technology that is anticipated. When you read history, history anticipates the future. When you read fiction, we've learned that fiction helps you to uh, learn about the contours of people's lives and the contours of their souls and to be uh, able to have a bit more of an emotional intelligence. Uh, and in other words, much of what literature does for us is give us an imagination. It fuels imagination. It fuels an ability to picture what's not physically evident in front of us. And since this is essential to nearly every area of life, then uh, then obviously it's an important part of what we want to gain from reading. Uh, I want to say in our modern world, this is number four. In our modern world, one of the things I've learned, one of the things I observe is that people often are citing things, citing facts, citing uh, famous leaders, citing people from history without knowing anything about them. Uh, it's embarrassing. We've seen this recently in some of the speeches of Donald Trump. Uh, we've seen this in other politicians and movie stars and people who are on the public stage. Uh, it's the kind of thing that haunts some of us who appear in public often, uh, because you know a lot of almost every leader, for example, quotes Winston Churchill, but very few have ever read anything about him or watched a good doc or or really know anything as much firsthand as they can get. Never traveled to England to go to Chartwell or or visit Blenheim Palace or go to the Cabinet War Rooms, and so. 
so in other words, they're quoting somebody at a distance. It's they're quoting something they don't know as firsthand as they could. If you listen to my podcast often, you know that I'm an advocate for firsthand experience, travel places, do things, live a real life, have authentic experience. Well, I can't really have authentic experience of Winston Churchill, uh, who's one of my heroes in history, because he's dead. But I have walked his home. I have walked his offices. Um, I have um, been where he was born. I have read the books he recommended. I have read the books that he uh, wrote. I have, as much as I can, um, digested all of the docs and all of the video footage we have of him, etc. Um, that's as close as I can get. I'm satisfied with that. So when I cite him, speak about him, give speeches about him, about leadership to help people, I'm, I'm authentic. I'm not just quoting something at a distance. I'm not quoting something second or third hand. Well, what's your version of that? How do you live a more authentic life in that sense? Who are the people you admire, the people you cite, the people you lean to. One of my great concerns for the young, whom I spend a lot of time with on college campuses and in my work, um, is that they they assume that because they read something on the internet, it's automatically true. And often it's not. Well, how can, how can they drill down? How can they be authentic? How can they dive into the actual literature? Well, you have to you have to give yourself enough to that kind of authentic experience that you're able to speak about the things that you do speak about with some degree of authority. I don't just mean academic authority in the sense that you're citing other scholars, but in the sense that you've drilled down into the into firsthand uh, knowledge. Uh, for example, if you are just a rabid critic of Donald Trump, make sure you've read The Art of the Deal. Make sure you've read other books. Make sure you've watched him authentically. Make sure that you've read his speeches. Make sure that you've 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 observed him firsthand. Don't take some blog that's five steps removed uh, and then speak as though you're an authority. You understand what I'm saying. And so an authentic kind of life, as much as is possible from literature, other forms of authenticity come from living fully on the ground and fully in the world. But some of it comes from reading and reading well and knowing what we're talking about. I hear lots of people, as I sit here right now, I'm sitting in my downtown Washington, D.C. office, and I hear lots of people in the city talk about periods of history, talk about the founding fathers, talk about Dr. King, talk about, you know, people in history as though they know what they're talking about and they just don't. And it makes them look foolish. It makes their arguments thin. And you can even feel a little bit of insecurity in their voice as they say what they're saying. So it means they don't have command. They don't have heft. And uh, I think we're all weary of people of that type. So those are the four reasons uh, beyond just knowledge and skill and entertainment that we ought to be reading. But I want to say finally that, uh, and I'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but one of the reasons that we ought to be reading is that history really does show us that this leads to an exceptional life. Almost every leader I admire, almost every person who has been of massive impact, let's just use the Western world as an example, um, has been a, has been a ravenous reader. Think about it. Who, who do you want to talk about? Roosevelt, Lincoln, uh, Churchill, uh, Alfred the Great. I mean, who, 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 George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, um, Margaret Thatcher. Reading, 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 reading. Uh, you know, I've written book a book on Booker T. Washington. Reading changed him. Um, I could go on and on and on. The people who read, the people who led by candle, read by candlelight, the people who read when they when it wasn't legal for them to read. Uh, uh, I'm speaking of American slavery. Um, reading makes an exceptional life. And I, I enjoy movies. I enjoy TV shows. I'm not a legalist about these things, but I do want to say that reading makes more of an exceptional life than movies will. There are certain movies you ought to see and yes, enjoy a life of film if that's what you enjoy. But 
It's reading books. It's reading words that make a massive difference. I assume you know, and if you don't, spend some time Googling it, uh, that brain science is now showing us the tremendous things that happen biologically to the brain as we read. That may be part of the reason that uh, people who have lived exceptional lives were ravenous readers, but I think you can be too. I think you can make a make an exceptional life. Uh, if I was making, if I was listing ten reasons. 10 ways that you too can live an exceptional life, like let's say 15 heroes I might mention in history. One of the things on that list would be a life of devoted reading. And I'm again, I'm happy for you to watch television. I'm happy for you to watch movies. Uh, I'm happy for you to you know keep up on YouTube. But none of that has the biological effect on your brain. None of that shapes your thinking. Little of that shapes your imagination, like reading words on a page. So I urge you to have a devoted, disciplined reading life. Find time. Uh, maybe it's just the lunch break uh, at your at your firm. Maybe it's uh, uh, it's something you do first thing in the morning, last thing at night. I, you have to find your own schedule. But find time to read and read good literature. And on the issue of good literature, I'll be talking about that next time in my next podcast. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and The Miracle of the Kurds. His new book is Ask the Question, Why We Must Demand Religious Clarity from Our Presidential Candidates, available on Amazon. Learn more about Stephen at stephenmansfield.tv. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is directed by Isaac Darnold, who also wrote, produced, and performed the podcast theme song. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production.